Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Radio Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm Ethan Marshall. Mystery is our middle name. And if you consult Mr. Webster's dictionary, you'll find out that his first definition of the word is something that has not been or cannot be explained. A profound secret. An enigma. That's exactly what you'll find at the heart of today's story. A profound secret. An enigma. Something that must be explained if a human life is to be saved. But there are other baffling questions to be answered along the way, such as, who is the mysterious piano player named Joaquin Fry? And why does attorney Tom Hendricks get this kind of greeting at his door when he presents an engraved invitation to one of Mr. Fry's piano recitals? Your invitation, sir? Oh, here you are. Sorry I was late. I had a little trouble finding the house. Well, that's all right. The concert hasn't started yet. Uh, would you please put on your mask? My what? Your mask, sir. But, uh, I don't have a mask. Well, you better have one, buddy, or you ain't getting in here. Our mystery drama, Murder Preferred, was written especially for the Radio Mystery Theater by Henry Schlesser and stars Tony Roberts. It is sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly with Act One. The name on his business card reads C. Thomas Hendricks, Attorney at Law. Everybody calls him Tom, and Tom Hendricks likes it that way, especially because the C stands for Clarence, a name not very popular these days. But it was the first name of Clarence Darrow, the famous criminal attorney, and Tom's father, a lawyer himself, admired him enough to name his one and only son after him. Tom is a criminal lawyer, too, but fame hasn't yet reached his tiny office. But who knows? Perhaps that beautiful woman entering it right now may be the beginning. Please, sit down, Mrs. Haven. Thank you. It may be a bit late for condolences, but I'm sorry about your husband. Thank you. I know it probably doesn't help much uh, to know that the police have arrested his murderer. It doesn't help in the least, Mr. Hendricks. In fact, that's why I'm here. Tony Gerard did not kill my husband. I see. I'm sure you don't see it all. Oh, I'm sure you've read all the newspaper stories and heard all the broadcasts about the case. It's your business, isn't it? Murder and arresting people and... And defending people, Mrs. Haven. Yes. That's what I wanted to see you about. Defending someone. Someone who is innocent. Mrs. Haven, are you trying to hire me for Tony Gerard? Not because he asked me to. You're not acting on his behalf? On his behalf, yes. With his permission, 
No. Tell me why you're so sure he's innocent. Because of some evidence you have? Nothing tangible. But something? Yes. You just know Tony Gerard didn't commit this murder. That's right. Mrs. Haven, uh, whenever there's a serious crime like murder, someone always comes forward and swears that the accused couldn't have done it or that he wasn't the type. But I didn't say that. You see, Tony is the type. What? Tony is a very rough young man. He has a a violent temper. He was in trouble all the time when he was a boy. He uh, he has a police record. Are you looking for a cigarette? Uh, no, uh... In my pills. You have some water. Yes, right here. Go on talking. But Tony would never kill anybody. That would be against God. He had a strong religious discipline when he was young. Its effect is still there. He... Oh, thank you. But you admit he was violent. Now, that might lead him to forget that discipline. If he had opportunity and motive. But... I suppose he had that, too. He... He was in the house that night. Our house. The night Walter was killed. And what about motive? No ideas about that, Mrs. Hannah? Not the idea that people have. What idea is that? My father has told me about the rumors. Your father? Yes. You see, Dad is a wonderful source of gossip. He is, uh... Retired. He used to be a doctor. Now he just plays golf and bridge. And he listens very well. I know people are saying that Tony and I were lovers. But it isn't true. Walter owed Tony some money. That was a problem between them, not me. Walter didn't want anybody to know that he owed anything to a man like Tony Gerard, especially because he was planning to run for the Senate. You're giving your husband the motive for murder, Mrs. Haven, not the other way around. Because there isn't any other way around. Tony didn't kill Walter, I swear it. Now, will you take the case, or won't you? Well, I'll have to think about it. Uh, for one thing, I'll have to find out if Tony Gerard wants me to handle it. I want you to. And I'll pay you, at least when the insurance payment is made. Are you sure it will be paid? Well, why not? Walter is dead. Why shouldn't the insurance company pay? That's a very good question, Mrs. Haven. Um, tell me, Mr. Briggs, uh, what kind of insurance policy did Mr. Haven carry? Ordinary life. And Mrs. Haven was the sole beneficiary? That's right. I understand uh, Walter Haven wasn't exactly rolling in money. How could he afford a policy that size? It was a substantial premium, I guess, but what the heck? He only paid it for a year. And now look what he's getting for his money. You mean what his widow is getting? Well, let's put it this way. What his widow would get. Unless we stop her. What? Mr. Hendricks, my company isn't going to pay that lady half a million dollars. Because, you see, we don't believe in rewarding murder. Are you saying you think Adrian Hazen killed her husband? She's the beneficiary. That's one reason. You got a better one? Tony Gerard. That's two. Want another one? She didn't love her husband. Want another? She, she was a poor girl who thought she was marrying a rich man until she found out that 
Walter Haven had a grand old name in politics. Hardly a grand in his bank account. You know, of course, the police had arrested Tony Gerard for this murder. I also know that Mrs. Haven had a perfect alibi. She was 20 miles from the house when the gun was fired. But you know what I think, Mr. Hendricks? I think it was still her pink index finger on that trigger. Figuratively speaking, of course. Mm, you think they were in it together, Gerard and Mrs. Haven? Bullseye. Mr. Hendricks, how would you like to make $10,000? How? Hop over to our side. Help us prove what we know is true, that Mrs. Walter Haven killed Mr. Walter Haven for the sake of her lover boy. That way, they get rid of the guy. Tony collects the money he was owed, and Adrian Baby gets a nice bundle to keep her for the rest of her life. Everybody's happy. But not my company, Mr. Hendricks. Hmm. I'm sorry, Mr. Briggs. I, I don't think I could do such a thing to a client. I thought you said she wasn't your client yet. She is now. <laughs> Sure you wouldn't like a little brandy with that, Mr. Hendricks? No, thank you, Dr. Sims. Well, shame to drink coffee without brandy. <laughs> shame to do anything without brandy. Only don't tell my daughter I said that. She thinks I drink too much of the stuff as it is. Well, you're the doctor. <laughs> That's just what I tell Adrian. Oh, hello, Mr. Hendricks. Mrs. Haven. I'm sorry about coming downstairs so late. Mrs. Haven, I've decided to take your case. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't think I like the way you put that, Mr. Hendricks. You mean Tony Gerard's case? Well, I'm, I'm not so sure it is Tony Gerard's case anymore. Well, if you're talking about those darn rumors... Your daughter told me you were a good collector of rumors, Doctor. Then you may have heard what the district attorney is considering. Not just a murder charge against Tony Gerard but a charge of conspiracy to murder against your daughter. But they said it isn't true. What? That would be terrible, Adrian. If the case against Gerard is as solid as it appears, he won't have a chance. His muddy footprints are all over that room. His fingerprints are on the door that leads to the garden. There was no weapon found, but the police believe he simply discarded well, it. Well, that still doesn't mean my daughter is involved. But if the D.A. can prove that they were lovers, if not now, then in the past... Please stop this. I don't want to hear any more. Mrs. Haven, I can't defend Gerard because I don't think I can win. But if you want to retain me... Mr. Hendricks, what I want you to do is to hear the whole truth. Adrian, wait a minute. No, Dad. I have to tell him. Things are getting out of hand. Mr. Hendricks, the reason I know that Tony didn't kill my husband is because Walter killed himself. I'm sorry. I can't accept that. But it's true. There wasn't a single bit of evidence pointing to suicide. No note. No weapon. And as far as the police know, no motive. But there was such evidence, only I... I got rid of it. You did what? I'll tell you exactly what. When I came home that night, it was late. After 1.30. I'd been to a party. Alone. 
Walter insisted that I go, he had a speech to write for the nominating committee of his party. That was the most important thing in Walter's life, getting that party nomination, becoming a senator. When I arrived at the house, it was terribly quiet. And we did have a servant, an old woman who took care of the place, but she was ill in the hospital, so Walter was alone. I saw the light on in his study when I drove up. I went inside. I couldn't believe what I saw. At first, I, I thought Walter was just asleep at his desk, his head on the blotter, but as I came closer, I saw that he was lying in his own blood. I saw the gun lying on the carpet. Then I saw the note that Walter had been writing just before he shot himself. Half of it was soaked in his blood. It said, Adrian, darling, forgive me. That's all. I guess it was enough. But then I remembered something else, something I'd heard only a week or so before. Walter on the telephone, joking with one of his political cronies, saying something about committing suicide if he didn't get that nomination. Only he couldn't do that, he said, because it would make his insurance policy void. And then I realized that's exactly what was going to happen. Walter's suicide wouldn't just cost me a husband. I would lose the proceeds on his life policy, too. I'd be penniless again, with no one to take care of me. Or my father. I couldn't bear the thought of it. I picked up the suicide note and threw it in the fire. And then I took the gun and got rid of it. Good Lord, Mrs. Haven. Are you saying that you preferred people to think it was murder? It was the only way I could get that money. I was just being practical. Why shouldn't I think of myself? Walter wasn't thinking of me when he pulled the trigger. Yes, but what was he thinking about? Why did he pull that trigger? I don't know. Did he know about you and Tony? There was nothing between us. There hadn't been for years and years, and Walter knew all about that. Mrs. Haven, you're telling me that your husband was a happy man. But he was. He was the happiest man you could ever want to meet. Oh, no, this was, he was psychotic or something. You can't ever know about people. I can tell you that I'm a doctor. Or used to be, anyway. I'm sorry, Dr. Simmons. But let's face it. Why would a happy man kill himself? It's a good question, and it deserves a good answer. Why would somebody with a beautiful wife and a brilliant future decide to put a bullet through his head? Was Walter Haven nourishing a secret so dark and terrible that the only solution for him was oblivion? How do you learn a dead man's secrets? We'll find out how Tom Hendricks tries to do exactly that when we return with Act Two. Attorney Tom Hendricks is a man with a problem. His client, Adrian Haven, has told him a story that no one could possibly believe. She has described a suicide note 
that has become nothing but ashes. She has described the gun that lies at the bottom of a river. She has claimed that her husband, Walter Haven, had killed himself, despite the fact that he had everything to live for. If I read one more political speech... I know, I'm sorry. I'm afraid Walter's speeches don't make very good reading, but they were effective enough. His party liked them. I don't think we're going to find a motive for suicide among his political writings. But you haven't found anything in his personal correspondence? No, nothing at all. You did a good job, Mrs. Haven. Uh, please, Adrian? Yeah, you did a good job, Adrian. You preferred murder, and murder's what you got. There's not a speck of evidence to prove that your husband didn't want to live anymore. The only problem he had seems to have been that $15,000 he borrowed from Tony Gerard's private loan company. He wouldn't kill himself over that. The only reason he wasn't making those payments was... Yes? Was... Walter didn't like Tony, of course. He knew that Tony and I had known each other years ago. I I think he enjoyed making Tony wait. Hmm. But guys like Tony Gerard don't like to wait for their money, do they? Tony didn't kill him. I told you what happened in this room. Yes, you told me. But you know something. I'd like your friend Tony to tell me, too. get together, Mr. Gerard. Why? You're not my lawyer, you're hers. Yes, Mrs. Haven is my client. I thought you might be interested in helping her out. I'm the one that's sitting in jail. I'm sure you know that the district attorney is considering a conspiracy charge against Mrs. Haven. So it might not be too long before she's in jail, too. Ah, man, that's crazy. Adrian couldn't have killed that creep. She was at a party. Twenty miles from the house. Look, I know she didn't do it. When I said conspiracy, Mr. Gerard, meaning that you and she were in this together. Well, well, that's even crazier. Me and Adrian haven't been together in any way for five years. Why don't you talk to me? (sighs) Okay. What do you want to know? You know, to start with, what happened that night? Walter owed me 15 grand. He dropped the 15 in Vegas on credit and he didn't pay. I bought the debt from my buddy at the club and I tried to collect. Boy, I liked having that creep owe me something. Anyway, he got a little nervous about it, especially when he uh, had the nominating convention coming up. <laughs> So he said he'd pay. And that's what I was doing out there that night, coming to collect. He sent Adrian off to some dinner party, saying he had to work on his next speech. (laughs) He knew I was coming there. He told me to come in by the garden so I wouldn't have to use the front door. It was a cold, wet night. And dark, too. I uh, couldn't find the stone path to the doors right away, so my uh, shoes got all muddy. But I didn't care if I messed up his fancy carpet. I saw a light on, 
I pushed open the doors. I, for, uh, for a minute, I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Haven was at his desk. There was blood all over it. Blood on the papers, blood dripping down the sides. There uh, wasn't much left of his head. I knew it was a bullet that did it. I felt sick when I saw him, but I walked up to the desk and I saw the gun lying there and I knew that he must have shot himself. And you know what I thought? That the guy had waited for me, that he had planned to kill himself that night and figured I might be blamed. I thought any minute the cops would bust into the place and arrest me. Only I wasn't going to wait for that to happen. Oh, no thanks. I turned around and got out of there just as fast as I could. And that's all. That's all. Understand? Mr. Gerard, did you see the suicide note? No. You do know that Adrian says her husband left the note. Well, if she says it, it's true. And you actually saw the gun. The one she says she threw in the river. Oh, it was there, all right. But you realize how it looks, don't you? It looks like murder because that's the way she wanted it to look. It was suicide. He knocked himself off. Why? How should I know? Because somebody's got to know. You can't think of any reason in the world why Walter Haven might have been unhappy. Are you kidding? He had Adrian, didn't he? Well, if you young folks will excuse me, I think I'll go up to bed. Oh, Dad, I think you should. I'm sorry dinner was so late. If you ask me, young lady, you're the one who should retire early. You don't look well at all. Why, I'm all right. <clears throat> well, I'll say good night, then. Good night, Dad. Good night, Doctor. We still don't have a lead on a suicide motive. Oh, that reminds me. I uh, found a few more things in Walter's desk. Uh, few bills and an invitation. Mm, it doesn't sound too promising, but I might as well look through them. Here they are. It's just bills, as you said. And this invitation. You are cordially invited to attend a piano recital featuring the works of Bach, Beethoven, and Chopin. July 24th, 8.30 p.m. Please bring this card with your black tie donations. 909 St. Andrews Avenue. The Friends of Joachim. Well, there's nothing too unusual about that. Well, there is one thing. What's that? Walter didn't like music. The Friends of Joachim. That's a funny name. Well, maybe Joachim was a composer, a pianist. I wouldn't know. Anyway, Walter wouldn't ever have gone to a recital. Well, maybe that's why it's important. Hey, you know something? What? The date. Today is July 24th. This piano recital is tonight. What are you thinking of? Maybe it's time I got a little more musical education. Maybe I ought to meet the friends of Joachim. Good evening, sir. Oh, uh, <clears throat> good evening. This 
is the residence of uh, the friends of Joachim? This is Mr. Joachim Fry's residence. Uh, please come in. Thank you. Your invitation, sir? Uh, here you are. Sorry I was late. I had a little trouble finding the house. That's all right, sir. The concert hasn't started yet. Uh, would you please put your mask on? My what? Your mask, sir. But I don't have a mask. Well, you better have, buddy. You ain't getting in here. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know this was a, a, a costume party. You mean Mr. Fry didn't tell you? No, he didn't. That's funny. Well, okay, buddy. I think I got one here. Yeah, here it is. I right, put it on. Then go inside and sit down. Leaning, gentlemen. It's quiet in here, isn't it? Oh, excuse me, is this seat taken? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Do you, um, do you come here often? How do I know, but... It's not too big a crowd, is it? And I suppose there are more than um, half a dozen of us here. Mm. Did uh, Mr. Fry tell you to bring your mask? Of course. What's the idea, anyway? I mean, I feel a little foolish sitting around with a bunch of masked men. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Uh, who's that? Joachim. You mean you don't know? Welcome, friends of Joachim. Uh, thank you for your attendance this evening. I've planned a very special program tonight. My first offering this evening is a familiar group of trainers and huge called The Well-Tempered Clavier by Johann Sebastian Bach. Thank you, gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed this evening's concert. Uh, and now I shall be pleased to accept your donations. Mr. Sir will collect your envelopes. Yeah, you first, mister. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Good night. And you, sir. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good night. Now. Thank you. Good night, sir. Well, you're the last one. Oh, uh, uh, how much is the uh, usual? I beg your pardon, sir? Well, this is my first recital. I, I'm afraid I didn't come prepared. To... Are you kidding me? No, it's true. I have that mask. Yeah. Fry! Come out here! Uh, yeah, what is it, sir? We've got a gatecrasher here, do you know him? I never saw him before. Well, the truth is that it wasn't exactly me who was invited. He had an invitation. He gave it to me. Where'd you get that invitation, buddy? I found it. How dare you do this? This is a private recital. Sir, show the gentleman what we think of intruders. It'll be a pleasure, Mr. Fry. Now, wait a minute. You like music, eh? Okay, fella, get set to hear some birds. (laughs) 
much as we deplore violence, I'm sorry to say C. Thomas Hendricks has just become the victim of it. What's even worse, Tom Hendricks has taken this punishment without coming much closer to the solution to his problem. What connection is there between the suicide of Walter Haven and a piano recital attended only by men wearing masks? Perhaps when Tom recovers consciousness, he'll be able to make that connection. We'll find out when we return with Act Three. Tom Hendricks doesn't really remember how he got from the brownstone house of Joaquin Fry to the suburban home of Adrian Haven. But when he came to his senses, he found that he had a ministering angel at his bedside. But Tom was lucky. It was only his cheek his nose, and his ego that were bruised. And when he was well enough to think, he found that his aching head was still clear enough to make some interesting assumptions. It, it has to be the answer. Everything points to it. Don't you see? No, I don't. All I see is black and blue. Tom, shouldn't you do something about these people? Adrian, I figured it all out. I know why your husband killed himself. You do? Well, almost. You see, I know what was going on at that so-called recital. What? Well, it wasn't for the sake of the music, I can tell you that. The name of the song Joachim Fry was playing was Blackmail. Blackmail? How do you figure that? Those guys handed over their donations because they were forced to, not because they wanted to. Mr. Fry gave them a reason to make donations, a better reason than his questionable talent. But why the recital? Why the friend of Joachim? Well, probably to cover the traces of blackmail, to give them some legitimate reason for their donations, something Joachim can justify when it's income tax time. But why the masks? Well, that's the most obvious part of all. If you were a blackmail victim, would you want the rest of the world to know? No, of course not. Therefore, the only way Fry could bring his victims together in one place was to require them to wear masks. So there was no chance of recognizing each other. Tom, what you're saying is that Walter may have been blackmailed. That's what I think, Adrian. Your husband was also a friend of Joachim. But why? I'm afraid I still don't know. But maybe I can find out... Tom, you wouldn't go back to that place, would you? I have to go back. I'll never find out what we have to know. But what makes you think they'll tell you anything? I'll just have to be very convincing, won't I? Good evening, sir, won't you? Hey, what is this? Are you back again? Yeah, that's right, Mr. Sawyer. Maybe you didn't get the message the last time. You're right. I didn't have the whole message, but I know a lot more now than I did then. Let me give you some advice. Do you have another recital tonight? Maybe, but you're not invited. Even if I brought a donation... A what? Here. Have a look at this. What is it? Hey, what's this all about? It's all about you, Mr. Sawyer. It's your rap sheet. A friend of mine at police headquarters was good enough to give me a copy of it. So you see, I know more about you than you do me. 
I know you've been arrested four times for dealing in what they refer to as toxic substances. Drugs to you, pal. Hey, who are you, anyway? A friend of Joachim, that's all. Tell me, Mr. Sawyer, is that how you and Mr. Fry develop your list of blackmail victims? Through their drug purchases? I think you better talk to Mr. Fry about this. I was hoping you'd say that. In here. What is it, Sawyer? You know I don't like to be... Look who's back, Mr. Fry. You again? I think he's a cop. Police? Well, what has the police got to do with me? I'm a musician. You're a blackmailer, Mr. Fry. That is ridiculous. Everyone who attends my recitals is here voluntarily. They're here because they're users, Mr. Fry. And they don't want the rest of the world to know about it. Or because they've gotten so mixed up in things involving drugs that they want to keep quiet. Get rid of him, sir. Now, wait a minute. I want to hear what he has to say, Fry. I don't want to get him mixed up with cops. He can't be police. He would have flashed his badge the last time he was here. You're right, Mr. Fry. I'm not with the police. But I can blow a whistle as loud as any cop. And maybe I will. If you don't answer one question for me... And what is that? You were blackmailing a man named Walter Haven, weren't you? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I never heard of him. Well, he was one of the friends of Joachim. It was his invitation I used the last time I was here. It is not true. I never heard of Walter Haven. And he was never, never at one of my recitals. Now, look, you've got nothing to lose by telling me the truth. Walter Haven is dead. Dead or alive, we don't know the guy. What the devil... What do you want in here? You've given your last concert, Fry. Sir, he's got the gun. Take it easy, mister. You're never gonna play another note. Give me that gun, you crazy... Then they're dead? Both of them? That's right, Adrian. They're dead. Both Sawyer and Joachim Fry, killed by one of their blackmail victims. Now we'll never know what Walter's secret was. But I do know. You what? I know the answer, Adrian. You see, the secret of Walter Haven is that he had no secret. What on earth do you mean? I mean, the secret was yours, Adrian. My! I thought it was him at first. That he was a user of the stuff or had been once and and that that would have killed his chances in politics. But it's you, Adrian. How can you even think that? I began to remember things about you. Your sudden illnesses, your reliance on pills, the long-sleeved dresses you always wear. Really, Tom? Can you honestly tell me that there aren't puncture marks on your body? As a matter of fact, there are. You can ask Father. I need vitamin injections all the time. Those funny little B vitamins and iron and liver and all that. I may be a human pincushion, but I'm not one of those... What's that awful word? Junkies? Yes, it wasn't easy to apply the word to you, Adrian. You hired me. You wanted me to find out the cause of your husband's misery, but you really knew it all the time. No, I swear I didn't. I never heard of Joachim Fry. But obviously your husband heard of him. You became Sawyer's customer. 
And whatever Sawyer knew, Joachim knew. I swear I never heard of either of those two men before you mentioned their names. And you also swear that you're not a user? No, I'm not. In fact, you look very much in need of something right now, Adrian, don't you? No. Well, I'll tell you what, then. Suppose we just stay here in this library for the next four or five hours, huh? Are you crazy? I'm not sure you can even last that long without your next fix, Adrian. Well, you are wrong. You're completely wrong. In fact, why don't I make sure that we're not disturbed? Huh? I'll just shut this door. What are you doing? <clears throat> Locking us in, Adrian. I'm closing the door against the outside world. You can't keep me a prisoner in here. You're not my prisoner, Adrian. You're a prisoner of your own habit. It's not true. It isn't true. Daddy! Daddy, help me! Yes. Yes, it was Daddy who helped you, wasn't it? He was a doctor once. He could get prescriptions filled. All sorts of prescriptions. Daddy, help! He's locked me in! Your father knows all about you, Adrian. He's the one who's been keeping you normal, if that's what you call the torment you're in. Daddy! What's going on? Daddy, please help me. He's got me locked in here. He won't let me out. It's just an experiment, Doctor. Help me, please, Daddy. I'm sick. Please, please, please. Open the door. All right, Dr. Sims. I'll open it. Your daughter needs you. Try to understand. I love my daughter. She's all I've got in the world. When she left home five years ago, it was as, as if the sun went down and the stars never came out. And when she came back home, Dr. Sims, she was an addict, wasn't she? Yes. Can you imagine what I felt? I, I was a doctor, and I knew what addiction meant. What, what an addict's life could become. Didn't you try to cure her? Oh, I tried. She was hard to handle. She didn't want cures. She wanted peace. I couldn't bear her anguish. So you supplied her? Yes, yes. At the time, drugs were easy for me to obtain. She didn't have to consort with criminals to get what she needed. But later... After I lost my practice. You didn't just lose your practice. You lost your license, didn't you? No. I, I was charged with misuse of drugs, but I resigned before there was any public scandal. And then I had a more difficult time keeping poor Adrian supplied. Then I had to deal with these criminals. So you were Sawyer's contact? Yes. I had to deal with him. Walter Haven didn't know the truth, did he? Walter didn't know. I bore Adrian's secret myself, and her expenses as well. It was no small burden. And after she married Haven, did you still have the burden? An even greater one. Because this man Sawyer brought someone else into my life. Joachim Fry. Joachim Fry? I was the friend of Joachim. He threatened to tell Walter and the whole world about my poor child's affliction. He forced me to contribute a, a thousand dollars each time he staged one of his recitals. 
I had to wear a black mask to conceal my face from the others. So that invitation was yours. But what was it doing in Walter's desk? It was there because I gave it to him. Well, then he knew the truth. I had to tell him. I simply ran out of money, don't you see? And what was his reaction? Well, it wasn't what I expected. He was horrified. He screamed at me, narcotics, blackmail, the publicity, the damage it would do to his nomination for the Senate. And then he said a terrible thing to me, Mr. Hendricks. What? He said he would have to cut Adrian out of his life. You mean he was going to leave her? Yes. He was going to leave her immediately. Before the world knew about her addiction, he was going to disassociate himself from everything she represented. Right before my eyes, he sat down to write her a letter. Good Lord. He wrote, Adrian, darling, forgive me. The suicide note. I couldn't let him finish that note. I remembered the gun Walter kept in his desk. I took it. Thinking to frighten him, instead he became angry. He stood up and plunged at me. I found myself squeezing the trigger. I shot him in the head. He fell back into the chair and I... I dropped the gun on the carpet. And ran away. And when your daughter came home, she made murder look like murder. How, how would you like... A new client, Mr. Hendricks. Call me Tom, Dr. Samus. Or you can even call me Clarence. So, Clarence Thomas Hendricks has a new client. And even if the defense of Dr. Sims doesn't make him as famous as Clarence Darrow he still had the satisfaction of knowing that an innocent man has been set free. But what happened to Adrian Haven's father at the trial? Well, we'll be back to tell you what the verdict was shortly. Charles Sims went on trial for the murder of Walter Haven, and his defense attorney, C. Thomas Hendricks, portrayed him as a father who was willing to sacrifice anything for the sake of the daughter he loved. This sentiment wasn't lost on the jury, but they still returned a verdict of guilty of murder in the second degree, and Dr. Sims is dispensing his medical advice in the prison infirmary. Well, you can't win them all, Clarence. Our cast featured Tony Roberts, Terry Keene, Court Benson, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.